Good morning to each one here this morning. I've been, I've been really encouraged already this morning with, um, thank you Cliff, I really appreciate the, several of those songs there at the beginning, and Isaac, the, the uh, devotions. There's a theme of love, and we're going to talk a little bit more about that this morning. Um, if you have, do not have your Bibles open to chapter 13 in Romans, um, open them there, and we're going to be looking at verses 8 through 14 there. Three things I want to I dig into specifically this morning. <clears throat> We're going to look at, at this debt that we owe. We're going to look at a debt that we owe. We're going to talk about the urgency we should have. And then at the end, and some of the verses there at the end, just simply the life we should be living. So the debt we should, that we owe, it first starts in verse 8 there. Owe no man anything. And, and I've heard this verse often, um, generally pulled out of context, that we are not supposed to have debt. And, I, you know, the Bible gives warning on debt, and, and there's, there's, you know, concerns, there's, there's things we should be, consider with debt. But that's not what Paul is talking about here. He's not saying you shouldn't owe anyone money. And, and while it's wise to not have debt, it is not, it is not an immoral thing to have debt. I want to be clear. And, and Paul, while Paul says, owe no man anything, you could almost take it as a law that we are not supposed to ever owe. And that is not what he's saying. He is not saying it's an immoral thing to have debt. We do understand, though, from Scripture that we have a moral obligation to pay the debt or the dues that we owe. There is a moral obligation to do that. And, and when Christians purposely refuse or refuse to pay on that debt and maybe even avoid their creditors, it brings, I think it brings reproach to the name of Christ. I mean, that's how we treat the debt that we owe. Notice with me here, verse 7, right before that, Paul is talking about, about what we are to pay, what we owe. And he's specifically talking about these dues. Um, he talks about things, things in the, um, I guess you could say, the public arena, in the, in the world around us. We owe taxes, we owe dues, we owe customs, respect, etc. The list goes on in the world around us. This is things that are due, and we, we pay these things. Verse 8, it seems like he shifts that a little bit, and he's, he's, he's still talking about something that is due, something that we owe, but it's specifically in private, or you could say personal, relationships. This is something now we owe to those in, we have relationships with. Oh, no man anything but to love. We have a debt. We have to pay a debt of love. We're to pay on that debt. Um, I think it's the same could be said about this debt. It brings a reproach to the name of Christ. And we don't pay on this debt. Let's look a little bit at this debt of love. First off, why, why do we have a debt? Um, it, it, why is there this debt? Why does Paul talk about this, this debt that we owe? We're not supposed to owe people things, but we are to owe love 
to one another. And I really appreciated that song, Magnificent, Marvelous, Matchless Love. And, and if, if, if we want to sum it up on why we have a debt, it's because of that given to me. And, and I, I think I can say it to each one of you. If I look at what God has given me, I look at who he is, I look at his love, I look at the cross, what it costs to redeem you, what it costs to redeem me, uh, the salvation he freely offers. You didn't do any work to receive salvation. That was something given by God. And then I look at my life and the work that he's been continuing, patiently continuing to do in my life, and, and I, I think the same could be said about your life. We look at the future that we've been given, undeservedly, tremendous future, hope of an eternal inheritance. And, and I, as I was thinking about this, I, I think I got just a little bit of a glimpse of how much I owe, how much we owe. We have a debt. We have a debt. And a number of places in, in Scripture, especially in the New Testament, God calls us to, in response to the love he's given us, to what he's given us, to turn around and give that love to others. And that's specifically what Paul is addressing here this morning. In response to what? To all we've been given. John 13, 34, A new commandment I have given you, that ye love one another as I, has, as I have loved you. It's in a response to all we've been given. And we pay on this debt by loving one another. It, it almost seems wrong to say that we pay on this debt because um, it, it's, it's never really fully paid. You know, I could, I could go every day loving, loving others until the day I die and... and it's not paid. It's that magnitude of a debt that we owe. There will never come a time when, when I can say, I've done all the loving I need to do. There will never come that time. My account will never be fully paid up on this debt of love that I've been given. And so I think our response should be to freely, freely give. Have you ever owed someone money? We all probably have at some point or another. And I'm specifically thinking, you know, as a young person, there was times, you know, we'd go out to eat or do something, and I didn't have cash along or something. And so my friend would, oh, he said, I'll get you tonight. You know, and, you know, the next time you see him, the first thing, every time, the first thing was, oh, I forgot those 10 bucks. That's the first thought. And that's generally the thought when you owed someone money. Is that the thought that comes to your mind when you see another person? You owe him a debt. And I, I, think, I think as we go into this, this next week, it's something I want to try to do as I look at people just to simply remind myself that I owe them love. And I think, I think that's a little bit what Paul is addressing here. Owe no man anything but to love one another. For he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. Some people are simply just love lenders. And a lender is someone who gives, maybe even gives pretty freely, but they always expect back. They always expect payment back. 
and usually with interests attached. Too many of us are love lenders. We are called to be a love debtor. We do it because we've already been given so much that we don't deserve. And our, our motive, or, or even our ability to love, is because we've been given so much. And, and First John, or, yeah, the book of First John just a, talks about this love. And if you've been loved, you will love. And it goes on and on and on. And almost seems like it repeats that theme. Um, it's not this thing of, of conjuring up my own ability to love somebody or maybe loving because I've been loved already by somebody. It's, it is literally passing on what God has given me to somebody else and often probably the most undeserving. What is love and how should we be loving? Our, our culture is obsessed with love and being loved and, and it's almost always from the perspective of how are others loving me? How are others loving me? The Bible here and, and, and throughout the New Testament shifts that perspective to how do I love others? How do I love others? The love specifically talked about here is, is agape love. And, and it's, it's simply a pure, sacrificial love. It's unconcerned or less concerned with self and, and concerned with the good of another. The good of another. The world mostly views love as, as a feeling, um, maybe as an experience. Tend to view love as approval of. If, I'm, if you approve of me, then you love me. But in the scriptures, most times, and correct me if I'm wrong, or maybe I, I wouldn't mind seeing some things that are different, but I think most times, it's and love just talked about, it's an attitude or an action. An attitude or an action. And majority of the time, it's an action. Attitude or an action. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 13. And we're going to read verse 4 through 7 there. Talking about love. Um, I think this pretty much sums up love, in my opinion. First uh, Corinthians 13, 4 through 7. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up. Doth not, doth not behave itself unseemingly. Seeketh not her own. Is not easily provoked. Thinketh no evil. Rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. Beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Charity never faileth. That's love. And, and going back now to Romans here, Paul ties this in. A really interesting perspective here. He ties this in with verses 9 and 10 for sure and, and the rest of the passage. And he brings in the commandments. Um, thank you for reading them this morning, Isaac. I was thinking about that. How fitting. It, a lot of these commandments have to do with love. Love is the fulfillment of these commandments. He simply says that here. He, he, he quotes commandments, I think it's commandments 6 through 10 of the Ten Commandments, and he says simply that love is the fulfillment of the law. Love fulfills these. Two things I see th coming through here is, is love 
does nothing to harm others. Love does nothing to harm others. And you see that in every one of these commandments. You know, if you, if you truly love your spouse, is committing adultery an option? If you truly love your friend or, or another person, is killing them even an option? Because, because of the pain it causes. You, you don't consider these things. If you truly love someone, you don't desire or think about how you could take what they have. No way. Not if you truly love them. And so we see love does not harm others. True love does not harm others. If I am practicing, if I'm truly practicing love, these commandments, they're fulfilled. They're obeyed. Second thing I see th- coming through here is, is love does more than just not harm others. It actually does what is best for others. And, and you see that verse 9 there towards the end, okay? If, if there be any other, he says all these commandments, and then he says, and if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this, saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. This assumes... That as humans, we do what's, what's, what's good for me. We do. We naturally do. I'm concerned about my interests and myself way too much. Way too much. And he just, he makes it very clear. And this is actually reference back to Leviticus, I think, 19. We are called to live, sorry, excuse me. We are called to love our neighbor. put our neighbor's interests, maybe even above our own. Love does what is best for others. God really wants us to look out for the interests of others before our own, and that is a tough thing to do. As I was thinking about this, I have a lot of growing to do in this area. How different would relationships look if we truly lived this. If we really put others' interests before our own, how much conflict would it resolve? Probably most of it. And, and I know in, in, in our marriage, most of our conflicts come out of this, this issue. Me simply putting my own interests first. Maybe, maybe something we should be asking ourselves often is, as we go about our everyday life, is, is whose interests am I really looking out for? And as we meet, as we meet people, if we, if we owe people love, how, how often when you meet someone do you, do you consider, am I looking out for their interests or am I looking out for my own? And does it change the way you do life? I think it does. It does, it would for me. And I, I, I was convicted with this. Whose interest do you look out for? When, when we're filled with the Holy Spirit and God's love, I think, flows into us and flows through us, we're, we're going to look out for the interests of others and hopefully, I think, before our own. And that, that is, it's not a natural, it's not a natural thing to do. It's, it's true love, I think. 
And it's, it's a debt that we owe. We have to remember it is a debt that we owe. I want to look briefly just at, at who we owe this debt to. Um, so in verse 8 it says, Owe no man anything but to love one another. And, and I, at first I, I was like, oh, that, I think that simply implies our brothers and sisters. I can, I can, you know, I'm not good at this, but I can get behind that. That's pretty, um, it's doable. <laughs> you know, it, it's going to take some work, but I can get behind that. But it goes on and says, the, the rest of the verse, it says, For he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. And that, that another is simply, I think it's, it's the Greek word heteros, refers to someone of another kind, someone who's different, someone who's not within. Um, you could even, it, it, actually the definition is pretty expansive, someone of another class, religion, age, nature, and that was even at the parentheses at the end, strange. We are called to love, yes, our brothers and sisters, but it's a lot more than that. Um, in verse 9 there, he talks about loving thy neighbor as thyself. When, when Jesus was asked in Luke 10, who's, who's thy neighbor? He answered with the parable of the Good Samaritan. And he was talking to a Jew and someone of another other class, honestly, and they were kind of outcasts. We owe this debt to our brothers and sisters, but we also owe it to the outcast, to the person who's different, to the person who's different, maybe the person who's really difficult to love. And I think we, we really do ourselves a disservice when, when we just pay on this debt or when we just love our brothers and sisters and we miss the person outside. In fact, I think it brings reproach to the name of Christ. But the other can also be said, if we are not loving our brothers and sisters, but we're all about loving the world, either one is very incomplete. And, and we, there's this tendency, maybe you don't find it this way in my life, to pick one or the other and to really emphasize one over the other. And either one is really, really incomplete. I don't know how you find it, but this is hard. This is hard for me. I'm, I'm just plain selfish. I, I really am. And I don't know if, actually, I, I can honestly say on my own, I can't do this. I can't do this. You know, I think, I think a natural man can love those who love him back. But it really takes the power of the Holy Spirit to be able to love when you aren't loved back. Maybe even someone as far as someone who despises you. Remember, you owe a debt that you can never repay. You can never fully repay. We are called to pay on this debt, but I don't think you can ever repay it. And, and there's a story in Luke 7, I think it's 41, somewhere in there. The, the picture is of, of Jesus going to supper with one of the Pharisees. He goes to supper with one of the Pharisees, and this lady from the city, the sinner, comes in and is washing his feet, crying. I think, it, I think I'm right in saying she's crying and washing his feet with her hair. And the Pharisee is like, this, this isn't right. This shouldn't be happening. If he knew what was going on, he wouldn't allow this. If he knew who she was. And, and he, Jesus responds with, 
a very short story of two men. One was forgiven a lot, and one was forgiven a little. And he says, who, who do you think loves more? And the Pharisee got it right. He said, the one who's been forgiven a lot. And, and he goes on and talks about this lady and that she has been forgiven a lot, therefore she loves a lot. I really think it comes back to this thing of, of how much I recognize, how much you recognize you've been forgiven. Because if you don't think you've been forgiven a lot, if you're a good person, you're going to find it really, really difficult to love. You're going to find it difficult to love. Do you recognize how much it costs to redeem you and how much it costs to redeem me? How much do you need Jesus? Do you really need him? Or can you almost do it on your own? And, and that makes a big difference in how much you love. I think only to the extent that we grasp how much we've been forgiven, to that extent we can really love. We can, we can love out of this debt that we've, we owe. I really think our highest priority, our greatest act of obedience, and Jesus said the greatest command is to love God and to love others. All right, let's move on in, in to verses 11, 11 and, and farther down there in Romans 13, and look at this urgency that we should have as Christians. Sometimes, I don't know how it is for you, but sometimes I find that I, I need a wake-up call. Um, I need a wake-up call. And, and we need that as Christians, and I think that's simply what, what Paul is trying to, to get at here. Our salvation is nearer than, once, than it once was. The end is closer than, one it, than when it once was. And he, he, he calls us to know the time. Know the time. He's not saying know when the end is, but know what time we live in. And, and I see this as a motive to live the Christian life. Paul uses, it's really interesting, sometimes read through Romans looking, looking for reasons, or you could say motives, that Paul gives us to live a godly Christian life. There's a lot in there. There's a lot of reasons or motives. Just a few, and I'm not going to look at verses for sake of time, but Romans 6.10, he talks about our new life, our new nature. It's a reason or a motive to live a godly life. Romans 6.16, he talks about being slaves to, to whom? Make a choice. You're either slaves to, to Satan or to God. And one's a good master, one's a bad master. That should be a motive for us to live a godly life. Another motive in Romans 6.21 is looking back, seeing the consequences of sin. That can be a motive to live a godly life. Romans 7.4 talks about having this marriage, this relationship with God. That's a motive. And here's another one in Romans 13.11, because the time is running out. should be a motive to live a godly life. Have you ever experienced a deadline? I'm sure we all have, sometime or another. Um, at work, school, maybe some of, I'm not sure how many people run here or have run a race and there's the clock and you're trying to get a certain time. There's a sense of urgency. There's a sense of focus. I know for me, and don't tell my boss, I get more done that last hour of the day than I probably do two hours earlier in the day. And I, it bugs me sometimes. I can really get a lot done when the time is a lot done. You can really focus and 
I think Paul's calling us to that. Not to this life. Paul was a tremendous example of this. Look at his life, especially after he came to the Lord. He was a very focused man. He knew what he was about. He knew what he was doing. You know, Paul didn't live a frantic life. He didn't, he was not busy, busy, busy. He was very focused. He knew the time. He knew his time was running out. And I think that's, he's a tremendous example of a man that, that knew his time was coming up. He had a certain amount of time. There was a deadline. And he was a very focused man. In, uh, well, it talks about this time. And I, I might be wrong, but I tend to view it as, as simply the season that we live in. And, you know, you, you see the season of the law. And then Jesus comes, and now we're in the season of grace. And we know that the season or this time of grace is right before the judgment. It's the end. And so we're, we're in this time. We're closer than it once was. And that's how I simply see knowing the time. Knowing the time. It's high time to awake. The, your time is less than when you came in here this morning. And I, I think it'd be lovely if, if we had watches that just counted down seconds. How much more urgent would you live life? A lot more. Good thing to think about. Your time is running out. It's, it's almost morning, and I think that simply just implies when the light comes, when our, our, our Savior comes, and he exposes our works, he exposes everybody, and, and judgment is is meted out. It's high time to awake. Moving on now in, into the life that we should be living. Let's turn with me to Second Peter. Second Peter three. I feel like my time is running out as well here. I'm gonna have to speed it up a little. Second Peter three. 10 and 11. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat, and the earth and the earth also, and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be? He asked this question. The time is almost up. We're gonna we're, it's all gonna be burned up. What ought ye to be? In all holy conversation and godliness. He sums it up. And I think that's exactly the emphasis we get here in Romans. The time is short. Now what, what kind of person ought we to be? And I think you see that there at the end of verse 12, 13, and 14. How ought we to live? What kind of life should we be living? Um, so the tendency, at least this is my tendency, has been to when we think of Jesus coming back soon, we, we think of we need to tell the world quickly as we can. We need to tell the world that Jesus is coming. We need to evangelize. And I, I want to be really clear, that is not a wrong. That's not. You're not bad for thinking that. In fact, it, it, it's a command we've been given to, to spread the gospel. But it's not the emphasis in Peter, and it's not the emphasis in Romans. The time is running out, so I could sum it up, live a godly life. Live a godly life.
And he specifically just goes through some things here that we're to do. Let us, ca- therefore, let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. There's an interesting theme that comes through in, in the scriptures that I, I noticed for the first time, especially in the New Testament. There's a lot of verses that talks about what we're supposed to lay off, cast off, put aside, and then there's a lot of verses that talk about what we're to put on. And so there's this, just a few that, verses that talk about casting off. Ephesians 4.22, that ye put off concerning the former convert, <clears throat> excuse me, that ye put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to deceitful lusts. Colossians 3, 8 and 9, but now ye also put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds. James 1.21, wherefore lay, up, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word, which is able to save your souls. 1 Peter 2, 1 and 2, wherefore laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and evil speaking. We are to lay off, cast, cast off sin. And he calls that, us to that in, in Romans 13 here. He says, therefore let us cast off the works of darkness. There's several ways to think about sin, and the Bible talks about sin in several different ways. One is, is thinking about sin in a very specific act, like stealing, or like lying, or murder, and the list could go on. Taking God's name in vain. Those are specific acts that are sinful, and the Bible's really clear about them. Um, another way to look at sin is more in, in general categories, like darkness, rebellion, um, the word flesh comes through. The old man. These are, these are maybe you could call them categories, for lack of a better word, categories of sin. And I think it really helps me, at least it helps me to, when considering and wrestling with life and looking at what should I be doing this, should I not, should I be going here, should I be involved in this in any way, and looking at these kinds of things, when instead of, of looking at, is this a bad activity? Would the Bible call this sin? Look at it and where it comes from. Is this of the light or is it of the darkness? Where's, where, what's the source here? Um, is it of the flesh? Does it fill my, my flesh? Or is it of the spirit? Does it feed my spirit? And look at it in light of these th- things. Um, that's been really helpful for me. It's not always easy. But I honestly think as we look and we wrestle with life, we really need to look at it in those terms sometimes. Especially things that the Bible just isn't very clear about. This is bad. This activity is bad. Or this place. Or this association. Oh, but where, what, where, what's behind it? Is, it? is it from the light or is it from the darkness? And we, we do well to think about those things. As a Christian, I really ought to have a zero sin tolerance policy in my life. And I said that very clearly. I ought to have that. We all ought to. But I don't, I don't know if I do well in looking at my brother and saying, you ought to. The Bible's pretty clear. It's me. Look at m- myself. Jesus again and again brings it back. 
to me? Where, where am I at? And I'm not here saying that I've reached perfection and that I, I'm, I'm all good to go. But never should our, our struggle or our battle with sin be an excuse for sin. Never, never. And, and we really ought to, as we, as we wrestle with this, as we, if we fall into sin, or maybe God points out something in your life that, that for the first time you recognize, I should not be doing that. Our, our immediate reaction as a believer should be to lay it down, lay it down, confess, cast it off. That's a zero-tolerance policy for sin. It doesn't mean we, you will never fall, but you clear yourself right away. You do not continue in, you do not continue in sin. And I, I, I think that's, that's a fairly important. We cast off darkness, and then it gives us something better. In verse, the end of verse 12 there, we put on the armor of light. Two verses that talk about some other things we are to put on. Ephesians 4.24, that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Colossians 3.10, and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. There's this theme of casting off and putting something on. God always offers us something better. Always offers us something better. And so while, while the world can make sin look enticing, God always offers us something better to put on. We are to put on the armor of light. And uh, I might be walking shaky ground here, so correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I noticed... And I think it's in every one of the verses where it talks about casting off. It doesn't ever say, ask God to cast this off for you. It always says, you, cast it off. And so I want to be clear in this. As a Christian here this morning, God's already bought you with his blood. Okay? God's given you his Holy Spirit. He's given you his word. He's already enabling you to will and to do according to his good pleasure. At this point, at some point, it comes down to you, with the aid of the Holy Spirit, choosing to cast off. And, and I think it's a responsibility of mine, of yours, to lay aside these things. And, and it's a choice. It comes down to a choice of, of what am I going to allow or not allow? What am I going to do or not do? And, and while we do well to ask God for the strength to do these things, it, it's something you need to do. You need to choose. Verse 13 there, just talk, it says, let us walk honestly as in the day. And, and as, when you look at honestly, um, some translations I think use the word properly. It's, it's an honest, proper Christian walk. Um, it often sounds exciting when we hear this word, radical Christian life. And, and I want to be careful that I'm not, I'm not saying that's bad. Um, but I, I tend to think it should be an honest, proper walk. It, it's, it doesn't have to be this extreme radicalism. But it does need to be the norm to walk this way. It's proper. It's honest. It's open. There's nothing to be hidden.
Um, after, at the end of ch chapter 13 there, or, or, sorry, verse 13, it talks about some sins that we are not to be in. And there's several categories, um, or I call them categories, riding and drunkenness, chambering and wantonness, strife and envying. The, the riding and drunkenness simply would just be partying, partying, an environment where carnality is normal and expected. Riding and drunkenness. And, and maybe even in a more basic form, um, I hope I'm not taking it out of context here, but partying could also just be simply wasting my life looking for self-entertainment. And, and drunkenness is also mentioned in that there, and that's clearly spoken of in the Bible as sin, and we know that. As Christians, we're called to, have a sober, to be sober-minded. The chambering and wantonness there is, is sexual sin. Sensuality and lust could also be included in, this, in these categories. Um, it's, it's a terrible sin. It's a perversion of something God has created as a beautiful thing, and it's caused much hurt, much broken relationships. The last two mentioned in this passage are strife and envying. And you could also use the words division and jealousy as well. Maybe one that's just a little bit more common than I would like to think. Has it ever bothered you if someone is better at you than something? There's something and someone's just a lot better at you than in that thing. And I, I don't know how you do it, but I've, I've found, I've caught myself doing this already where instead of appreciating that person or appreciating the talent that God has given them, you, you speak sort of negatively about that person. Make them not look quite as good as what they are. Quite as good. And you try to maybe bring them down a little bit. That's envy. That's, just to put it bluntly, that is envy. And, and envy is, is an awful thing. It will make you do things that you never thought you would do. Envy caused Cain to, to kill Abel. That was envy. Um, I think it was the turning point in Saul's life when he started envying David. And you look at the path, it went downhill from there very quickly. And in one of the Gospels, it says the Pharisees killed Jesus for envy's sake. Envy is a terrible thing. It'll corrode your whole person. Proverbs 14.30, a sound heart is the life of the flesh, but envy, the rottenness of the bones. It's a deadly sin, and it should be repented, should be cast off, like it says here. Verse 14 calls us to put on the Lord Jesus Christ, and I think that's beautiful. I, I find it interesting, I don't know if I have a specific reason for it, but that it, it just, it doesn't mention acts of righteousness to put on. It just says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, I actually preached this message last Sunday at, at New York, and one of the brothers, um, a, a man, I think he's from Turkey or somewhere originally, but afterwards he came up and we were talking, and, and he had a really interesting perspective of what it means to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And I, I just wrote it down. I thought it was really good. He just says, it's when we recognize Christ as our garment. It's what covers us. It's what protects us. He said, he becomes our satisfaction and our identity. And then it said, he said, his love changes who we are and what we do. Oh, that was, that was pretty, pretty accurate. That's what putting on the Lord Jesus Christ is. 
And, and I really think, as the more I've looked at these chapters, chapter 12 and chapter 13, he starts chapter 12 with this idea of, of being a living sacrifice. And then it just feels like after that, he just clarifies what it looks like, what it looks like. And that's all we've been looking at in chapter 12 and 13, this idea of, of a living sacrifice. Putting on the Lord Jesus Christ, that's what he was, was a sacrifice. And, and again, going back to this idea of not always knowing if something, we should be doing something or not, when it's not necessarily a known sin or bad, as the Bible says. Maybe ask yourself, if I'm putting on the Lord Jesus Christ, am I doing this today? Or am I doing this thing? Am I associating with that? Is that does, it, does it line up with putting on the Lord Jesus Christ? And I, often for me, it makes it pretty clear suddenly. And you notice there at the end of verse 14 there, he says, and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lusts thereof. I think that's honestly the opposite of putting on the Lord Jesus Christ. When we're making provisions, we're making provisions. I think, and it was mentioned, I think, Sam, you mentioned that in the Sunday school lesson this morning, we give, we give Satan a little too much credit for, for our tendency to do bad, for sin, for evil that happens, and I think he's right. I think the same is, is accurate in our lives. When I sin, or when I'm tempted, watch it sometime, but most times, I think it's because we've given a little bit of provision. We've, we've We've left the door open. How can we expect to, to be able to feed our flesh, even just a little bit, and not be sucked in more? It's, it's not, it's not, it doesn't work. It really doesn't work. It's, it's, as, it's as stupid sounding as, as me putting a, you know, some kind of block or something by my bed. And when I get out in the morning, I'm going to hopefully remember that I better not trip on that block or stub my toe. I'm, I'm bound to eventually. In my morning stupor, I'm going to hit that block. And, and that's how silly it sounds, to, to make a little bit of provision and say, yeah, but I'm not going to give in. It's the opposite of putting on the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and if we're, you're struggling with sin, let's, let's consider, let's examine our lives. Where am I giving a little bit of provision, even just a little bit. Cast it off if it's there. In closing, I just want to remember, remind us we, we owe a debt. We owe a debt. We've been given more love than we can ever repay. And, and also, just a warning with that, I really think it brings reproach on the name of Christ when we do not pay on this debt. We don't pay on this debt. Second point, we, sh we should feel an urgency in this life, and I, I want to call us to that. It's high time to awake. The day's at hand. How ought we to live? I think it's pretty simple. Um, there's a, there, there lays it out here for us, a godly life. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Cast off these things that are of the darkness of the flesh. Live a life of godliness. There should be a sense of urgency there, a sense of urgency. God... God's placed a, a, a really high calling on, on your life if you're a Christian here. I think it's a very specific calling. It's a calling to live a godly life. It includes all these things, putting off 
darkness, putting off sin, putting on the Lord Jesus Christ, presenting your bodies a living sacrifice. With that, let's kneel for prayer.